0: And welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Good to have you with us here. We are in Gideon. Uh, we're in Judges, talking about Gideon. Judges, the sixth chapter. And uh, we're, uh, we just finished uh, the life of Moses, quite an amazing life and all the things there. And uh, then went on to Joshua and how Joshua was the next guy in charge and how they went and took over the promised land. And then after Joshua died... Then Israel was in a constant cycle of serving God for a little while and then they would mess up and they'd fall back into sin. Blatant stuff that they know they weren't supposed to do, particularly idolatry. They kept getting into this thing of worshiping uh, all the uh, gods and stuff at the time. And... Uh, then, uh, you know, God would punish them, and then they'd cry out to God, and God would forgive them and deliver them, and then they'd do it again and the same cycle over and over again. So, well, the book of Judges is the kind of record of these, the line of these men and uh, even women. Uh, we read about Deborah last week. Uh, about how god would raise them up to save the people they call them the judges you know that they would rescue the people and then as soon as everything was good again then they would forget about god and go back to their old sins terrible cycle that they were into so again so here we are now in chapter six and it says again the israelites did evil in the eyes of the lord and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the midianites remember uh how in on the book of law the, the law when Moses told them said, look I set before you today life and death if you will do right you're choosing life if you do wrong you're choosing death and they laid it out very specifically how much God would bless them and help them succeed if they would do right and certainly we saw that in the last generation that uh, Joshua was with and God bless them they were successful in everything they did but when they would do wrong the hand of God would come against them and uh, and told them how brutal it would get. And it was like they just never would quite get it. But so anyway, so here they are. They, the Midianites are in town and they're kicking butt. And because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So take, get the picture here. This was the nation that came in and totally dominated this area. And they took over everything. Because, not because they were so big and so powerful because God was so with them in fact they weren't that big and powerful that's why the previous generation didn't want to go in, they were afraid but God so blessed them they, just, they, they were rulers of everything and now they're hiding in caves that's where they're at clefts, little places where they could find themselves because they're now under the oppressive rule of the Midianites Whenever Israel would plant their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country, and they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel—neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. Now, oftentimes you, you read, you know, that you know the Midianites were there, or the Philistines came and made it miserable for people, and you know it's, it's kind of hard to get a picture of that. Transpose this today. Imagine being under the oppressive rule of some invading army, and every time we tried to plant crops, they would come and destroy everything and kill every cow and every lamb and every pig and everything. Can you imagine the devastation, the hunger? I mean, these people were in desperate straits. These people uh, tormented the Jews again, they're hiding in caves and and how they even survived uh, is hard to even imagine, but life, it was hell for them. Again, when they fell under the judgment of God, this was no small deal. Well, it says, they came up against their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. A little hyperbole. Of course, it was not impossible, but just talking about how Many there was, we'll read a little bit later, one army, their camels were more than the sands of the sea. Well, probably not. There'd be a lot of camels. The whole world will be covered with camels. But again, it's just, you know, a way of describing things. Now, they they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Duh, finally, they would get it. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from them before you and gave you their land. I so blessed you. I gave the whole deal. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. Over and over and over and over again. He told them that. But you have not listened to me. So that's why they were there. Well, then the angel of the Lord came, and he sat down under an oak in Ophrah, uh, that belonged to Joash the Ebzrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. He's hiding from the Midianites. All right. And then the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, "The Lord is with you, mighty warrior." Now, clearly. Gideon is no mighty warrior at this point. We're going to hear a little bit here. He says, man, I'm a girly man. I'm I'm nothing. I'm afraid of everybody and I'm the least of the least. But it's interesting. He didn't initially even hear the mighty warrior part. All he heard was the initial phrase, the Lord is with you. And Gideon responds, but sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of many. Now this is, you know, it's really some gall here on Gideon's part, but this is so typical of people. Their lives will get into such a mess. And, you know, and they're doing everything conceivably wrong. They're disobeying everything the Bible says. I mean, anything of any value. You know, that doesn't matter. Lying, cheating, sex, whatever. Just whatever God does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then their lives stink. It doesn't work. Everything is against them. And then they come and say, well, why isn't God blessing my life? <laughs> Duh. Because of what you're doing. All right? God isn't going to bless you when you deliberately decide, I'm going to sin against God And I'm going to offend God at every turn. You're pretty much on your own on that deal. Okay? You need to take this stuff seriously. And this is exactly what Gideon says. Well, if the Lord's with us, how come all this is happening? Well, he just told him. The prophet had just told him why this had all happened. Then the Lord turned to him. And notice here how often the Bible uses the term the Lord said or the Lord did. We've been talking about this all throughout, ever since we got into Genesis. It wasn't literally the Lord. It was this angel it says an angel was there these guys whenever they were seeing the Lord and talking to the Lord stuff, overwhelmingly this is an angel that they're talking to it uses it synonymously because they're representing to the Lord and when the angel was spoke they're speaking the words of the Lord but these guys weren't literally face to face touching and talking with God they'd have never survived all right, because um, the Bible says no one can see God and live uh, The God, uh, the Lord turned to him and said go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand am I not sending you So he he basically deflects his whining and says, listen, just go. Go out there and save Israel. I'm sending you to go do this. but, But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakness, the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my family. I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. Well, the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. Well, Gideon replied, well if now I have found favor in your eyes give me a sign that it is really you talking to me how do I know this is really God he says please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you so the angel of the Lord says I'll wait until you return so Gideon went in and he prepared a young goat and from, and from an ephah of, of flour he made bread without yeast and putting the meat in a basket and this broth in a pot he brought it, uh, brought them out and offered them uh, to him under the oak. so he's basically bringing in an offering uh, as Moses told him to bring offerings before the Lord. And the angel of God said to him, "Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place it, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth." And Gideon did so. And then, with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And then the angel of the Lord disappeared And when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now, this is not a hallelujah proclamation. This is a freaking out proclamation. He said, Ah, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Ah." Why would he freak out? Because they knew that if you would see God face to face, you were good as dead. All right, nobody. So he freaks. When he realizes this is really God, he thinks he's toast. And then the next verse, uh, God says, but the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to die. All right, chill out. Because it's actually an angel, not really God in the flesh. So anyway, Gideon builds an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah, which is kind of like Oprah, but a little bit different, uh, of the Abrazites. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. And this next part's kind of funny. He says, tear down your father's altar to Baal. Now these guys, this was their problem. They kept worshiping these false gods. They'd have these altars to this god, this basically Satan worship of Baal, and, and this uh, god called uh, Asherah. They'd have these Asherah poles and stuff. It was all part of this worship uh, to these idols and stuff. So he says, get, get the next bull. I want you, I want you to get ready to, to do this. Take that one of your, your dad's. I don't know what dad thought about that. He said, just go take it. And then he says, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole. <laughs> Chop that sucker up. <laughs> and then put it down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants as did, and, and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town... Now he knew they would really get ticked off. These people took their idol worship very seriously. Sadly, much more seriously than they ever did their relationship with God. Odd, strange things the way people react. So I anyway, mean, because he knew they would get really ticked off... He says he did it at night rather than in the day- daytime. Well in the morning, when the men of the town got up... There was Baal's altar demolished. And the Asherah bull was chopped up... And a second bull sacrifice on the newly built offer and they asked each other who did this? and when they carefully investigated they were told it was Gideon son of Joash who did it how did they find that out? well remember Gideon took ten of his servants so one of them spilled the beans okay so the men of the town demanded of Joash the dad bring out your son he must die because he has broken down the Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it so these guys again had more passion for the unrighteous things Than for the righteous things. You know, it's often odd how how many times even people of faith, Christians, will get all upset about the stupidest thing, not necessarily evil, but they don't get all that passionate about the things of God. But things that they don't like, they will just have a cow. You know, if it's not the proper music, you know, if you didn't just do this, if the pastor didn't say hi to me on the way out the door, or something like that, they just get all upset about stuff, you know. In terms of fighting for righteousness, things that are really right and holy and stuff, ah, it's no big deal. But the little things, you know, he's strain it a gnat and swallow a camel, Jesus said, you know. Just get all upset about stupid stuff. And these guys were just like that. They were all upset about stupid stuff, they were all mad about it. But then Joe actually gotta kinda hand it to to uh to to his dad, uh Gideon's dad, because you'd think Gideon's dad would have been ticked off it was his bull, (laughs) and and his Asherah pole and and, and the altar. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal is really a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So basically, you know, challenges him. I mean, he's really a god anyway. Let him deal with them. Well, so that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, Let Baal contend with him, which is what Jeroboam means. Because he broke down Baal's altar. So they said, okay, Baal's going to deal with him. I'll curse of Baal. Baal's going to beat him up, or some curse or some horrible happen thing will happen because Baal's going to fight uh, for, his, for his honor. So anyway, they left uh, uh, Gideon alone. Really, And actually, from this point on, they don't really call him Gideon. They call him Baal That's how he's known among the people. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces to cross over the Jordan, and camped out at the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet or something like that Uh, summoning the Abrazites to follow him and he sent messengers throughout Manasseh calling them to arms and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali so that they too went up to meet him And Gideon said to God if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised look I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor now this is kind of a significant thing because you'll hear people talk about you know putting fleeces before the Lord I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but there's people like, they'll kind of just, you know, God give me a sign, or do this little test, or or, or check this kind of thing out. And they're, they're doing fleeces, that's what they call them, uh, which we'll explain in a little bit, but this is where it comes from, this is where the story comes from. So he, he said, look, I'll, I'll take a wool fleece on the threshing floor, which is, you know... A lamb's skin or whatever. Uh, And if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. So this is the sign. This is the fleece. He's saying, he says, we're going to uh, lay this thing out overnight. And God, if you're really with me in the morning, let all the ground be dry. No dew, but let let the, the fleece be all wet. All right? Something that wouldn't happen. It wouldn't just happen like that. So... Uh, And that's exactly what happened, the Bible says. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So the thing was just dripping wet, but the ground all all the way around it was dry. Now you would think, cool, okay, this is my sign. Let's go for it. Well, then Gideon said to God, don't get mad with me, please. He said, just let me make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground all wet. All right? And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, and all the ground was covered with dew. Now, a couple of these things. I mean, I've always taught very, very harsh against uh, this whole idea of fleeces, and, and still generally do. Uh, although I, I don't think what, this was as bad as we uh, make it out to today, or how some people abuse this. You have to remember, uh, these guys, their, limit, their understanding of God was extremely limited. God had already appeared to him, okay? An angel appears. He brings the uh, uh, sacrifice. The angel touches it and then disappears. I would be impressed right there. I just move on, right? Well, you know, he's fearful and he doesn't really know and, and he's not sure and what God's calling him to do is, is scaring him. And even though God spoke to him and stuff like that, well, he's looking for other signs that in fact God is with him. Now, from that standpoint, I think that's a healthy thing to do. I often encourage people, you really think God's called you to do something and, and, and put some great thing on you or, or whatever, look around for the signs. of Where's the evidence that God is with you? If there's no evidence anywhere that God is with you then maybe you didn't really hear from God maybe it was pizza late at night or something you had a weird dream I don't know but there there should be some kind of evidence you know what I'm talking about you know God opening doors God making things happen and I've got so many stories I couldn't spend enough time to tell you of all the stories of how God has done that in my life and I'm pretty big on this path. Lathan knows it I always before we step I'm always what other side I'm not laying a fleece before I'm not testing God I'm not playing some dumb game all I'm looking for evidence of God where's evidence of God in in, in our life I remember when I was first doing this marriage ministry thing you know um, uh, we were trying real hard to to do these things and to help couples and And nobody was coming to these seminars. It was a drag. You know, it was hard work. And so I just finally told my staff, this is when we were in Stevens Point, just started the church there. I said, well, let's stop this. And, you know, if God isn't going to bless this, then let's do what God's blessing because God was blessing the church. Well, as soon as I stopped trying it, the next seminar was completely packed out. You couldn't get another person in the building. And then the next seminar... 30 people more showed up than could, the building could hold 430 people only 400 people could fit in the place it was crazy the third week in a row and it's like well isn't that odd we thought, well maybe God still wants us to do this then a few weeks later I get a call from a businessman who says I want to come talk to you I says cool I hadn't seen him in years and uh, he flies in with his private plane and stuff and sits down he says I hear you're trying to save marriages I said yeah he says Well, I'm I'm very concerned about marriages in America. Now, check it out. He's never, he had never heard me speak. He had never heard me do anything. And he sits down, and he says, if I back you financially to do whatever you need to do, will you go out there and try and save marriages? And I went, (laughs) okay. You know, and all of a sudden, we're able to do stuff that, you know, would have taken most ministries to get to the size where we are today, would have taken 20 years where we've gotten in five or six years. Because of the financial support that we've been able to do this. You know, so God it's like, people say, well, you know, did, I'm so glad God spoke. to you do what you're doing? Well, he never really spoke to me. I was more than anything. I'm seeing God's hand everywhere opening doors and confirming this. You see what I'm talking about? Where's the evidence? Someone says, well, God's, I, God's called me to youth ministry. And I said, really? Yeah, absolutely. I just, said, so, well, do you spend any time with you? No, not at all. Well, well, do do, uh, do youth like spending time with you a like? lot? Not really. They don't kind of like me much. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> oh, does anyone ask you to work with youth? No, I don't understand that. I don't know why that is. You know. Well, hello. Maybe God's not with you on this. I mean, get be a little smart. So from that standpoint, I think it's good to do that. I met one guy, a good friend actually. I haven't seen him in years now, but... Uh, he was meeting with me and he says, you know, I just, I know God's just called me to ministry and I, I don't know where else to go. And he'd just gotten fired from the church that he was a minister at, which was like the fifth church in a row that had fired him. And he's sitting there in lunch with me and saying, you know, I just, I just know God's called me to the ministry. I said, well, maybe he hasn't. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, where's the evidence of it? I mean, everywhere you go, nobody wants you. I mean... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I mean, nobody's calling, but yet fighting and fighting and fighting. And I know people like this. They get so stubborn about something, they hammer their heads up against the wall, say, I know God's called me to discuss, but there's no evidence at all from anybody, anywhere, at any time that God has called them or wants them to go in that direction at all. In that case, stop it! All right? So look for evidence. I'm not saying do fleeces per se. You know, well, God, I want to... I'm going to set out this plant. And uh, tomorrow morning if it turns purple then I'll know it's your will you know, I mean, don't do stuff like that you know, we have the Holy Spirit, our knowledge of God these guys didn't have the Holy Spirit de- de- uh, living inside of them uh, guiding them into truth, they weren't born again, I mean, they're, they're in a very very dark, violent world and in their darkness and stuff like that but at least from the sense of looking for signs of God from that I applaud him but don't do any of these stupid, you know, fleece things, you know, people who Lord, I'm just going to open up the Bible and wherever my finger falls, you know, let that verse speak to me. Anybody know people who've done stuff like that? I mean, you know, and if you have, don't raise your hand. You know. Don't don't do stuff like that. There's no telling what you'll find. You know. Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) Go thou and do likewise. I mean, you know who knows what you could get. So don't do stupid stuff but from the standpoint of looking for signs of God from, from this I, I think it was a good thing for him ok so now moving on early in the morning Jerobah Baal that is Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Herod now there's like 32,000 men at this point point. He and all these guys yeah, they'll come running and, uh, um, and camped at the, at the spring and the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh uh, the Lord said to Gideon Check this out. He's got 32,000 men. Okay? Huge armies are coming against. And God says to him, You got too many guys for me to deliver Midian into to your hands. You have too many? What do you mean, too many? I could use like another 100 grand. You know? In those days, I'd want a whole bunch of people. I'd want, you know, three to one before I went to war. God says, You got too many guys. In order that Israel may not boast against me uh, that her own strength has saved her. In other words, I don't want this to be about you. Okay? I'm going to intentionally put you in a situation where you're going to need a miracle. Now, we talked about this Sunday, right? And people hate this. They They want miracles, but they don't want to have to need a miracle. And if we get in a situation where we need a miracle, we freak out. Because God's... Why is He left me like this? Why is He left? I don't know. Maybe He's waiting for a miracle. Okay? So when He shows up... It isn't about you... God had to do it. Okay? Put you in a situation that... When you look back... You go... That was God. Like a story I just told you. I know in my life... This kind of stuff that's happened for me... That's God. You got to make this stuff up. Or you could try. But it, you, you can't just... Manufacture this stuff. So God says... You have too many guys. So announce now to all the people... Anyone who trembles with fear can turn back and leave Mount Gilead. You have yeah, 32,000 guys. Okay, any, any of you guys who are nervous about this? Go, go ahead and go home. All right. And check it out. <laughs> 22,000 guys leave. Wow! You chickens, you big fat chickens! Holy stinking cow! I think you know, a couple of hundred would leave. You know what I'm saying? Over two-thirds. Okay, it. Oh, if Oh, are nervous, all right, see you later. And they took off! I'd be depressed. I'd be totally bombed. i God, God, I don't know what's happening. Why are you doing this to me? Because he wants to do a miracle, see. So anyway, so he's got 10,000. Okay, I got 10,000 guys. You know, we can do this. We can make this happen. Then the Lord says to Gideon, there are still too many guys. <sighs> he says, take them down to the water and I will sift them there for you. I will say... This one shall go, and this one shall not go. But if I say this one shall not go, then he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. So, the filter is all the dog people are not supposed to go and all the guys who go get to go right i mean i'm i'm cheering against dog people at this point you know (laughs) well so three hundred guys didn't do the dog thing only three hundred and you know (laughs) nine thousand seven hundred (laughs) guys so I, I, we got 300 guys left the Lord said to Gideon ok with 300 men that lapped I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands let the other men go each to his own place would <laughs> hard ok the rest of you can go home now so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to the tent but kept the 300 I gotta tell you if I'm with one of the 300 I'm getting a little concerned Where's everybody going? You get to stay. I don't want to (laughs) stay. I'm a dog lapper at heart. Can I go? (laughs) So they took the 300 who took the provisions and they they took over provisions and trumpets of the others, which (laughs) I presume would leave with a lot of trumpets and provisions. You know, 9,700 guys leave. There's a lot for 300 Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Now during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, I want you to get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, then go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Well, of course, he and Purah go down because he's scared to death. I'd be freaking out. So he goes down around the outpost of the camp And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. (laughs) A little hyperbole again. (laughs) That would be a lot of camels. Okay. All right. So Gideon arrived. just as. So they're hiding out and they're listening and he sneaks up on these guys and he hears one man telling his friend about a dream. He said, I had a dream. Uh, uh, A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midian camp and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Well, his friend said, he interprets this dream, I don't know how he knew what it meant, but he says, well, this can be nothing other than the sword of of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, these guys were extremely, extremely, extremely freaked out about any kind of omens and signs like that you know, see it in old movies and stuff they're looking for omens that's the way they really were I mean, in these, back in those days you know, some prophet said something or some chicken flew overhead the wrong way or some kind of, I mean, they, were, they were looking for all kinds of stuff even a dream would freak them out so this guy got freaked out and said, it has got to be a bad omen if you had the dream, that means we're going to get slaughtered well, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation he worshipped God, he thought, this is great these guys are freaking out we haven't even showed up yet and they don't know there's only 300 of us Okay, so he returns to the camp of the Israelites and he calls out, "Get up! The Lord has given the midnight camp into your hands." So he comes up with this plan. So he divides a 300 men into three companies, all right, and he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Obviously, at this point, they've got a lot of torches and trumpets and stuff because all the other guys left them. He said, "Now watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do." When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon! So we're going to get around middle of the night and then um, we're going to blow the trumpets and everybody just yell. So Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. Okay? Well, so they, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. So the visual here is freaking out. You got to remember, not everybody would carry a torch. All right, you know, you'd have some guys would carry torches, other guys were carrying weapons and stuff like that. Well, all these guys had torches. So when all of a sudden they broke the jars and they look up and they look around them and they see all over the hill all these torches, it's the middle of the night. They can't. They've just got to assume that times who knows how many. It's really a brilliant move on his part. They have no idea there's only 300 guys up there so they get up there they, they blow uh, the trumpet they broke the jars the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed their jars And grasping their torches in their left hand and holding on their right hands with the trumpets they were to blow they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon and while each man held his position around the camp all the Midianites ran crying as they fled so they look up and they see all this and they go "Ah!" And they're just running, in it's absolute bedlam. They are totally, completely freaked out. Okay? And uh, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Again, it's dark. They don't know what's going on. They see all these people yelling, they see all of these torches, and now they hear all these trumpets. And they turn and they start fighting each other. So they start slashing each other to bits. And the 300 cats, they're not even doing anything. They're blowing. Yeah, they got Gideon written on their chest. Gideon, you know, jumping up. Oh, yeah, it's a football game. I'm sorry. But uh, something about a G I knew popped in my head there. <laughs> Maybe they had cheese heads. I don't know. But anyway. They're screaming and hollering and these guys just absolutely freak out. So then now now the army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerah as far as the border of Abel, whatever, read all those names. So Israelites from Naphtali, Asher and Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. So at this point they yell for these other guys, come on, join us. We're going after these guys. So Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all of the men of Ephraim were called out and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. Sound like cookies. <laughs> New chocolate chip cookeries by Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb. <laughs> and they killed Zeb at the White Press of Zeb. By the way, if you're looking for names for your kids, skip over these, would you? We're going to call him Zeeb. Zeb, get over here! So the, <laughs> I don't know why I do these things. Focus, Mark, focus! <laughs> they pursued the Midianites and brought... The heads of Horeb and Zeb. That's just gross. They're bringing heads to Gideon. Personally, I could do without the heads. but uh, So there they come up with the heads. Now, the Ephraimites <laughs> asked Gideon, Why have you cheated us like this? So now they're ticked off because they didn't get in on the original 300 yelling. So they feel like they got cheated on the deal. Why didn't you call us out when you went to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. Now we're going to read in a couple of other chapters. This happens another time. They have this big battle. And nobody calls us the Ephraimites. Apparently nobody liked him. I don't know what the deal was. So uh, uh, the, the next time really get some trouble. We'll, we'll see that when we get here. But here, you know, Gideon sucks up to him. And he says, uh, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't you the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest at Abazir? God gave Orab and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into our hands. What was I able to do compared to you? You know, you guys were the ones who went chasing after. You guys are fabulous, fabulous. We just love you guys. And uh, and then their (laughs) resentment subsided. Serious egos, by the way, going on here at this time. So anyway, so Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted, kept yet keeping up the pursuit. So now check it out. These guys turn on each other. They're fighting. People are dropping like flies, and the whole army starts running for their lives. And 300 guys are chasing them. Which is pretty funny, you know, if they would have just stopped and turned. (laughs) You know, there ain't many of them guys back there. But they get running. And as they're running, they're slicing them down as they're catching up to them. They just think there's this huge army after them. And uh, so they're they're exhausted, but they keep chasing these guys. Uh, So they came to the Jordan, they crossed it. And he said to the men of Sukkoth there, he says, hey, give my troops some bread. They're worn out. I'm still pursuing Zebah and Zalmunah. The kings of Midian. But the officials of Succa said, Well, do you already have Zeba and Zamlah in your possession? Why should we give bread to your troops? So these guys were real rats. They wouldn't give them any. Because they were afraid that if things go sour, then Zeba and Zeba would come back and kill them. Well, then Gideon replies, Well, just for that, when the Lord has given us these guys, I'm going to tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. So from there, he went up to Peniel and made the same request of them. But they said the same thing. And he says, when I return in triumph, I'm going to tear down this tower. So nobody would help them. And it was really ticking him off. So now Zeba and Zalmunna uh, were in (laughs) Karkor, Man, these names. With a force of about 15,000 men. So 15,000 guys. And all that were left of the armies of the eastern peoples, 120,000 swordmen had fallen. These guys had knocked down 120,000 people had died already by this point. Now, we don't know how many of them turn on each other, how many dropped at this point. But, it's, but even still, there's 15,000 left. I mean, somewhere they're chopping up people as they're going down their way. They wiped out with 300 guys. I mean, that's, that's amazing. They're chasing these guys. So Gideon went up by the route of the nomads near east, east of Nobah and and fell upon the unsuspecting army. So Zeba and Zalmanah, the two kings of Midian, fled. But he pursued them and captured them, routing their entire army. So da 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 da, they win. Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle by the pass of Harris. Uh, he caught a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And the young man wrote down for him the names of the seventy-seven officials of Succoth. He wanted to know the names of these people. Who were these jerks who wouldn't feed us? So he gave them the seventy-seven names of the elders of the town. Then Gideon came and said to these guys here are Zeba and Zalmanah about whom you taunted me by saying do you already have them? why should we give you bread? and he took the elders of the town and taught the men of Succoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars so I guess he tortured these guys and rolled them around with desert thorns and briars for being so mean ouch and then he did pull down the tower of Peniel and then killed all the men of that town then he asked Zeba and Zalmanah What kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Well, men like you, they answered, each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon replied, Those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, had you spared their lives, I would not kill you. Then turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, Kill these jerks! But Jether didn't do it because he was only a boy and was afraid and he was scared. So he says, come on, son, step up, kill these guys. And the kids, I mean, that's kind of gross, right? Walking up and killing people if you've never killed anybody. Well, Jeb and Zelman now said, come do it yourself. As is the man, so is his strength. I mean, one of the reasons for doing that is a bigger insult. To have the boy kill them would have been a bigger insult. So, and of course, these guys didn't want to die that way. These guys, the ego and stuff. I mean, these people really lived in a whole different world than we live today. But uh, I mean, at one point, we're going to read a little bit later. Uh, one guy asked for someone Because some lady dropped a rock on his head And he was slowly bleeding to death And he asked for somebody to kill him So nobody would say that a woman killed him I mean, there's a, you know how I died was a big deal That kind of thing So me, I'd just be freaking out I was dying Because I'm chicken, I hate pain So, go to heaven, but hate pain So Gideon stepped forward and then he killed him himself And took the ornaments off of their camel's necks Uh, So the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So he starts out right here. Okay, God's going to rule over you. You guys don't need a king. Just do the right thing. And he said, I do have one request, however, that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. so They had all these gold earrings and they answered we'll be glad to give you them so they spread out a garment and each man threw a ring from his plunder into it the weight of the gold rings he asked for came to uh, 1700 shekels it's about 43 pounds what would that be worth today? how much is an ounce of gold right now? A a thousand bucks times 12 times 43 that's a chunk of change Jack so in that, that's not counting the ornaments and stuff. So, I mean, the guy basically, and, and, and not counting the purple garments worn by the kings or the chains on their camel's necks. And so Gideon, you know, had a lot of gold and became extremely wealthy at this point. Of course, then Gideon slipped into darkness, as was their custom. And then he made the gold into an ephod, which are these stupid things. And, and they placed an ophir in his town and all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it. It's like they couldn't stop. That's why God told them, don't make unto thee any graven image. Don't make any, because he knew their temptation. Now, again, we don't have this struggle today. uh, But for some bizarre reason, back thousands of years ago, these people's temptation to fall down. Now, you have to understand, it it was even more than um, just the fact that they were worshipping some stupid thing. There was a culture that went along with it we're not stupid enough to sit down and bow down to a, you know a cow or some other stupid thing and stuff like that but make no mistake our culture is tied up in just going after the culture of sin today the immorality the the partying the you know adulteries the, i mean all the kind of stuff the lying and cheating and all the different things that people even believers keep getting sucked back into and back in those days, that was all part of the culture of the worshiping thing. They were—they get, get—they were very uh, promiscuous. They'd have uh, uh, temple prostitutes. I mean, it was—it was all kinds of bizarre stuff that went on. So it wasn't just about the thing. It was this, the culture of sin that they kept getting pulled back into over and over and over again. Something for us to learn from. Don't do that. So after all this, he makes this cool looking thing and then they all bow down to it and it even becomes a snare to Gideon and his family and they start bowing down and worshipping the stupid idol. Again, more than the idol, it's also that whole culture of sin that went along with it. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and it did not raise his hand again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace uh, for 40 years. So Jerob Baal, who was Gideon, Son of Joash went back home to live. He had 70 sons then with his, of his own. For he had many wives. Or one really tired one. <laughs> 70 sons. He better have a lot of wives. Ho Chi Mama. And uh, now his concubine who lived in Shechem also bore him a son whom he named Abimelech. Why do they point that out? Because we're about to read about Abimelech and what he does and it's all part of the story so one specific guy stands out here and he was quite the rascal this rascal anyway so Gideon son of Joash died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abuzrites no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals they fell right back into the very thing that Gideon had put away in the first place and uh, just amazing. So they set up uh, Baal-bereth as their god and did not remember the Lord their god who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. And they also failed to show kindness to the family of Jerob-baal, that is Gideon, for all the good things he had done. What do you mean they didn't show kindness? Well, wait until you see what Abimelech has them all to do. And we'll save that for next week as we continue to read Through some of this uh, stuff. We're about to read some really bizarre stuff. I mean, some of that's already bizarre, but we're going to see some very troubling and disturbing things here as we go into this. And then we're going to jump and and read the story of Samson. Samson and Delilah. And then I don't know. We'll see if there's anything else in there that we want to really touch on. But uh, anyway, interesting stuff. All lessons we can learn from even... So we'll pick it up at chapter 9 next week and find out what Abimelech did to all his brothers. Cool. I am done. (laughs) (laughs) Let's have the ushers come forward and we'll get ready to take our evening offering. Thanks for coming out, you guys. I love getting in the Word. Let's clap. Hallelujah. Time to give. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. and Thank you for all that you're doing in this church and the people that you're drawing. Thank you for the wonderful week that we just had Um, over the Easter weekend and Sunday. The largest gathering of people we've ever had in the history of this church 3,500 people came to church on Sunday we just praise you for that God we thank you for what you're doing and how you're touching lives and helping us to, to grow And help us not to just only grow numerically but help us to grow spiritually God help us to grow from these teachings and to learn what your word has and to get wisdom and understanding so that we can become stronger servants of yours I ask that you bless this time of offering and giving tonight In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.